during the telephone interview uh, with Brian and uh, Pastor Wayne, um, you know, I told him, you know, I came investigating, I came, uh, I love what you have, get the job or not, and we're staying. Um, after I got the phone call telling me I didn't get the job and, and uh, the reasons behind it, which were valid reasons, I said, okay, this is what I need to do then. I need to stay here. I need to be whoever gets that job. I need to be their shadow. I need to, I mean, that's, that's the area of ministry that God wants me to go into is care ministry. And to get the experience and leadership, leadership skills that I need to get there, the only way to do that is to follow somebody who's there. And I have that opportunity here through everybody on the leadership team. Um, I've, I've learned a great number of things just watching people, um, watching how things happen um, here at the church and um, you know, taking advantage of all of those opportunities that God is, all those doors that God's opened up in front of me uh, and, and walking through them and, and going through that because it's, it's important to me to be obedient to Him. Our intent this morning in letting you see Todd's story is for you to understand that people are working in, God is working, pardon me, in the lives of various individuals in the life of our church in fairly dramatic and different ways. I want to talk with you about that today. And uh, for guests, my name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team here. I'm very glad you're with us. We're going to spend some time looking at the book of Nehemiah today. But before we uh, get that going, uh, it's been my privilege to be in pastoral ministry since 1985. Uh, in July of this year will be 30 years that I've been trying to figure this out, trying to work it out. And uh, in the early days, I, I didn't really know a lot about pastoral ministry. As a matter of fact, I thought when I took that, when that first church of 40 people, I had no seminary experience, no Bible study, no Bible school experience. They just said, you feel, we don't think you should be our pastor. It was a crazy idea. But nonetheless, I said yes, and I thought that I would preach, teach, and play the piano, and Leslie would sing, and that'd be about it. Well, the job description did have this little thing at the bottom that said, other duties is assigned. Have you, ever, have you ever been in that setting where it says other duties is assigned? And I learned that the other duties involved things that I didn't know pastors did, like if I didn't clean the toilets, nobody would. So that was part of my responsibility. If nobody vacuumed the sanctuary, that wasn't going to get done. So the other duties as assigned began to be quite lengthy and take up a number of hours each week, and fair enough. And I noticed about four or five weeks in that the floor in the fellowship hall downstairs, uh, the eating area down there, was looking pretty rough. And I asked, well, what do we do about that? And they said, well, usually the pastor polishes it. Oh, good. <laughs> good. Okay. So... I'd never polished floors before. Have you ever polished floors? It's an interesting endeavor, particularly, and I'm not talking about a little kitchen polisher. I'm talking about a, 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 the fellowship hall was about this size right here, half this room, okay? And um, tile that had been laid probably in the 1950s and had wax on it and you had to figure. So they had this big industrial buffer. And I don't know if you've ever operated one of those, but the first time you operate them can be quite a dancing experience. Because you can put that thing down there on the, on the, and if you, on the floor, and if you turn it on the wrong way and don't hold the handle, it swings all the way around the room. Like, I know that. <laughs> I also know that if you hold the handle correct, incorrectly, you can dance with the buffer. 
it will, it will be the lead partner, I'm telling you that too. It will lead the dance. And I've also learned that if you understand how to pivot the handle, you can do some incredible things with that buffer. Namely, as you hold it, it goes... And if you just lift up a little bit, it'll gently move one way. And if you push down just another way, a little bit, it'll go over the other way to the right. And you can create lovely lines of swirls in the fellowship hall that when people walk in the next day, they have no idea that you spend hours doing that, but it's been done. In some ways, it's been my experience that that is almost a metaphor for ministry from my experience. If you hold as a pastor, hold on to ministry in the wrong way, a church can take you dancing in places you don't want to dance. And it can swirl you all around, all over the place. But if a congregation comes together and they grab a hold of the handle of ministry and they learn to pivot together, you can create lovely lines of ministry all across, if you will, the floors of people's lives. And it can be a really sweet and beautiful thing. This morning, we're in the story of our congregation. We're at the point where we've got to do a little pivot. You need to hear this morning very clearly. This is not some new thing that I'm bringing to you or anything like that, but more so an understanding we've been going this way for a while. And we just got to keep going. And we're going to swirl our way to a lovely line of ministry together. And to get that started, would you look with me in the book of Nehemiah, please? Okay, Nehemiah is about that far through the book. <laughs> All right, if you don't have a Bible, there's one on the pew rack in front of you, and you can see some page numbers behind me, depending which Bible you grab. As a matter of fact, if you don't own a Bible, take that one home, okay? And uh, Nehemiah, while it's only halfway through the book, is probably um, the newest book, almost, you could say, that we have within Scripture. Certainly, it's one of the newer. And chronologically, it's, at, it's set at 444 B.C., okay? So, pardon me, newer in terms of the Old Testament. So it's set at 444 B.C. Psalms, which is just a few pages over, is at 1,000 B.C. As a matter of fact, Psalms was written, for many of them were written by King David at, at, when Jerusalem in the, city of Israel, in the nation of Israel was at its height. I mean, they were controlling much of what's going on around the Mediterranean basin. But a number of events took place as when David died and his family began to disintegrate in the generations that followed after that. 586, the, the, uh, pardon me, 721, the Assyrians came in and, I mean, decimated the country, carted off um, uh, 10 of 12 tribes that just disappeared from the face of the earth in Israel. And then um, in 586, the Babylonians came in and wiped out what the Assyrians had done and decimated the country even more. And so by the time you get to 444 BC, the nation is in ruins and generations of families have literally disappeared. The Jews are in great despair. And it so happens that in Persia, the number one advisor to the king of Israel, to the king of Persia, or if you could say the number two guy in the country, happens to be Jewish. His family had been carted off, and he's worked his way up into Persian culture and Persian society. And he is, if you will, he, everything that goes to the king has to go through him. And we read this. His name is Nehemiah. In the words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the city to, citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. So he's working in Persia, 
and some Jewish folk come from Jerusalem. He calls them brothers. They're same original bloodline, if you will. And they show up and he asks, I question them about the Jewish remnant. In other words, the folk that are left, the families that are left, generations now after chaos and disaster and trauma has visited the whole nation. How are they doing? They survived the exile. How's it going on? And how's Jerusalem going? And they said to me, verse 3, those who survived the exile and are back in the province, they are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. A city's sense of self-worth was based on how well the, the uh, wall was maintained and how secure the city was. And so for them, everything is a mess. And when I heard these things, what did he do? He sat down and wept. Throughout the morning, I want to give you some observations. And some observations here immediately is that this man is obviously interested in the welfare of his nation, and of his city particularly. And when he learns of the plight of the people of Jerusalem, he weeps. Normally in a message that I'm preaching, we'll do a number of observations before I ask some pointed questions. It's kind of the way in which I do things. But could, I, could we kind of do that a little differently today? And let me ask you straight up. Because I suspect that all of us here are interested in the situation and the city of our community. Do we ever weep like this man did? Do we ever weep over the broken, troubled, and disgraced places and people of our community? Do we? Or is it like, well, that's not my business? Nehemiah, far away, decides he's going to take action. And so he goes to the king and basically says, hey, king, um, I need a leave of absence. And, I, and by the way, I'm going to need some resources as well. Read with me. Nehemiah chapter 2 now. Nehemiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. He goes to the king, and the king says, what is it you want? And then I prayed, he says, I prayed to the God of heaven, I answered the king. It's like, you see him, he's come before the king, and the king says, what is it you want? And this prayer goes up from, from Nehemiah to God, saying, oh God, help me right now to say the right things. And as he's got this, this whisper prayer in his head from his soul to God, he starts speaking to the king. If it pleases the king... And if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him, let the king send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so I can rebuild it. In other words, I want to leave of absence. Often employers don't like that. We get it, but you, it's like, okay, tell us all about this. And uh, then the king with the queen sitting beside him, how long will your journey take? How long are we going to get by without you? And when will you get back? And so then some answer, the king says, oh, okay, pleases the king to send me. So he set a time. And then there's this other breath prayer that Nehemiah gives. He says, I also said to the king, God, help me right now. One step, got two to go, one more to go. If it pleases the king, may have led us to the governors of the trans-Euphrates, so they'll provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. In other words, uh, king, I need a passport and, a v and visas that are going to provide me uh, ability to get from one country to the other to get back to Jerusalem. And also may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the royal park. I, I need to talk to the guy who's in charge of the royal forest. And I need him to give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. I'm going to have to build a house when I get there. And would you make certain that out of the resources of the royal palace, you provide that for me. And because of the gracious 
Because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. He asked for materials. He asked for permission and time to be away in order to go repair the city. It all came because he wept over the city. You and I might have tears over our community, but those tears will mean very little unless we choose to follow that emotion with some actions and even some resources. Here's the question for you. What about our community makes you weep? Do you weep over the places of poverty? Do you weep over the places of illiteracy? Do you weep over places where racism exists or where people are unemployed or there's family dysfunction? Do you weep over the situations where children are neglected or perhaps even worse still abused? Do you weep over the places where people are headed to hell without an understanding of God's grace in Jesus Christ, where they are dying without his blood covering their misdeeds and their sins? Does that cause you to weep or does it go, well, it's there, none of my business? Nehemiah's story, the rest of it goes this way. When he got to Jerusalem, the people of Jerusalem began to rebuild the city. He was a great leader. Now, there were some naysayers. There were some people who opposed the work, who said it, wasn't, it couldn't be done and it wasn't worth it. But the builders, the believers, the best people overcame the lethargy of despair, and they transformed Jerusalem, despite the fact that the naysayers even got a conspiracy going where they were trying to kill the people who were rebuilding the wall. It took time. It took energy, it took vision, it took funding. They, they gave it their lives, they gave it their resources, they gave it their labor. Spe I mean, specifically, they worked and they gave, frankly, money. If you look in chapter 7, uh, you can see where they gave all kinds of different gold and silver. And uh, I did some calculations based on when I was working on this sermon initially back in the middle of March. I went out and I looked at the spot prices of precious metals on the 18th of March, okay? And, and I was able to figure out how much, the, what, the weight of the gold was and the weight of the silver and everything. And based on the spot prices on the 18th of March, here's how much money they gave to rebuild the city. $15,382,034 on the 18th of March in today's dollars. Plus, they worked the project. It wasn't like a turnkey project where they hired a general contractor and said, here's 15 million bucks, go at it. No, $15 million was the cost of the supplies, and then they did it. It was a costly project, it was a costly endeavor, it was a big deal. And together, we're gonna really look at this at the end of the message, together they reclaimed the spirituality of Jerusalem. I gotta tell you, that's our hope for this city. Our hope is that God's glory would be known in this city, that Christian spirituality would be known among our fellow Decaturites. That's why last fall we announced that the goal of our church in the next 10 years is that we would see 10% of the unchurched members or the unchurched people of our city, if you will, in a 15-mile radius around us that 10% of the unchurched would know Christ in the next 10 years, that we're, we're believing God for those people. We have about 100,000 people in this community. We're believing God for 10,000 people to come to know Jesus Christ. Now, I know they're not all going to fit in our building. It's not about First Christian Church. 
It's about, can we plant those people in other churches, maybe reviving some, some churches that are struggling? Can we, you know, can we plant some in our church? Yes, but can we, can we impact our community for the cause of Christ? That's the focus of what these banners are behind me in power. We want to move our city away from despair and move them to delight in God's presence. The heart of 10, the heart of who we are, is that the community of Decatur would no longer see itself as the armpit of central Illinois. I get so offended when I hear that people say, well, Decatur is the armpit of central Illinois. I want to go, no, that's not who we are. We are not the armpit of central Illinois. We are the Imago, Imago Deo. We are people made in the image of God. We are people who are so valuable that Jesus came and died for us. We are human beings, people of value and worth. We are people who Jesus came to be with, to walk with, to die for, and to save. 10 is all about the baptism videos that are going to, in the days ahead, feature your friends and your family and your neighbors, people that we don't even know yet. We want to see folk who don't know Jesus Christ come to know him. I want to see your family members in those videos in the days ahead. Now, some of you, you've, you've, you've caught your smart crowd and you're going, okay, Wayne, so this is obviously leading somewhere. This is obviously leading, okay, you've got a program to reach 10% of the, of the community. You've been telling us since August that we're going to do that. Last January, you said you're going to talk about the money to do that. And then you told us again that we we're going to do it after Easter. Where are we on the calendar? after Easter. So you're going, okay, how, cut to the chase, Wayne. How are we going to fund all this? Well, before I tell you that, a couple of comments. First of all, for those who are guests, I'm really glad you're here today because this is not awkward for us. I'm really glad you're here today because you're hearing about our vision for Decatur from the ground up. You're hearing about our excitement about what God has already done in us and through us. And I'm glad to be part of a congregation where we can talk about funding and vision because there are plenty of congregations that are simply trying to seek the status quo and to maintain a ministry profile, to, if you will, to almost, you almost hear as if they're pro pro prolonging a painful ministry death that everybody thinks and can see is inevitable. That is not the case in this congregation. We believe greater days of greater value are ahead with greater significance in the life of our church, and it's going to be better than the past, and we're willing and mature to realize that that requires vision. That requires somebody coming along and saying, we're going to repair the city walls, and it's going to cost $15 million. That's what Nehemiah did. So how are we going to do it? Well, we're going to suggest that we step into a work together. We're going to ask you for some help with this Empower business for the next 18 months. Here's what we're going to do with every dollar that you give to Empower. We're going to start by giving away 10%. Here's why. We as a congregation believe that all the resources that we have in our individual homes belong to God and that our automatic response is to give 10% of that away. So we're going to model that as a congregation. When I say give it away, uh, we're going to give generously to reshape our community, moving the community from despair to declaration, to a declaration that God loves all of us. And um, we, we're, we're going to be very, very precise and intentional about how we give away these funds because we want to give them to other churches, to other parachurch organizations, or maybe even organizations that aren't churches or settings that aren't churches say, we are going to trust God 
to work in those settings where we're giving money away. And we've already kind of begun to hear, as this has gone out through the congregation already, uh, we've already begun to hear back of some ideas that people have. And we're going to ask you today to give some ideas. As a matter of fact, there's a, an email address where you can send your ideas. All right? It's called at empower at firstdecatur.org. And some of the ideas that have come in already are things like this. Okay, we're a church with a fair amount of people and money resources, if you will. So there are struggling churches around our community, maybe in some of the rural communities. Could we send both people and a staff person to those churches for a period of time and help them out? Not from a top down, but coming alongside them. Are there young people or older people in our, in our community who would like to start in ministry, but they don't have the resources? Could we provide scholarships to send people to school to get involved in ministry? Uh, we have all sorts of other ideas, as well as one that came in that's kind of a cool idea, I think, and that is, can we give money to the city and just say, fix the potholes? Just fix all the potholes. All right? And, and, and as, that, as that payment goes down, we're going we're gonna to brand every one of them FCC. FCC. <laughs> so I'm asking you, would you send us some ideas of what you would say in totally brand new and unique and novel ways, how could this church change the community? Just give us a better sense that the church of Decatur is engaged in the life. One idea we have would be to, to take um, a space on the north, south, east, and west and go to the city and say, we'll provide the money and the people and the resources to both build and maintain lovely new Welcome to Decatur signs. Because have you noticed we don't really have anything like that in this community? Could we do that? We can, I think we could. So there are some ideas coming. The elders and staff will gather into, into May and into June and sift through all those ideas and see what we can do. That's the first thing we're going to do. And then uh, in the second 10%, we're also going to give that money away as well. But in that case, it's going to be back more so to some of our own community ministries, things that we're doing already. We're, yes, we'll do some things you know, our continued work in Kenya and Cuba and so forth, but um, we're, we, we want to also give 10% to the things like Club 305 and Adopt-A-Block and um, the Arts Academy and our chaplaincy work in the hospital. We have a request now to take the chaplaincy from DMH and move it to another very large ministry, uh, large uh, workplace center in the, in the city, and so we're looking at that. I can't quite bring you all the details on that yet. But uh, like Adopt-A-Block, I got great news for you, by the way. Remember, we, we, we were trying to buy a house last December, and we put $50,000 aside, and we said we're going to buy a house, and, and BJ and Mary were going to move down there and be missionaries in the neighborhood down there. And this is an area about oh, three-quarters of a mile to half a mile south of DMH, a blighted neighborhood. And we, we, we found a house that we said, okay, this is going to work. Had it appraised. It came in at $32,000. And... Um, I, we knew that the family knew that we were a church and that they would expect a little more than $32,000. So we offered them thirty-four, dollars and it came back. This is the appraised at thirty-two, And they said, you can't have the house unless you give us $50,000. And that seemed, un while we had the funds, that seemed unwise, you know, just to kind of... So we said, okay, and we were very disappointed. Well, just in the last week... The best house that we've always wanted to have has come available, and we got it for $12,000. So it's cool stuff. Cool stuff. So um, we got some work to do in the house, but it is, it is structurally solid, and uh, we'll be getting back to you more about that in the weeks ahead. But BJ and Mary are going to move there for a year, and then we'll see where it all goes from there, putting 
We have another family that's bought another house in the neighborhood down there, and they're intentionally planning to be there with BJ and Mary, and there's lots of, it's good stuff. Do we weep over the places of poverty and illiteracy in our community? We do. Let's put some action behind that. And let's go there and help. Not top down, we'll come in and help. No, let's live among that. So, it's all good news. So, um, 10% far away, or in the community, if you will. 10% for ministries we've already got going, and then 80% uh, back here, if you will. And when we were kind of playing with this and dealing with this with the, with the uh, leadership team, somebody said, so it's basically 20% outside the building, 80% inside the building, and the 80% is for us. And we said, yeah, until we go. No, that's not right either. Because if it was just for us, the building is set. You know what? The pews are about as soft as they're ever going to be. You know, we can't, how soft do you want the pews to be? How, you know, how many coats of paint can we put on the wall? But so we said, no, this really is for, for 100% mission for the people of our community who aren't here yet or who don't know Jesus yet, and so we need to provide some better resources. So today, as you leave, I want you to walk through the lobby and go to the left. And if you go into the activity center, you'll see that whole new space that's being created for children and, fa- for children and families. We're spending $1.8 million over there. It opens in June, and, uh, but it's all cleaned up and you can walk through it safely today. You can go up the stairs, hold the hands of your kids, let them see where they're gonna be. Elementary kids are gonna be upstairs. Um, Discovery Zone kids are gonna be downstairs, okay? So again, so you're going, okay, Wayne. 100% mission, I'm all in. Cut to the chase, what's the, what's the dollar? Okay, well, if you wanna know what the numbers are, we're gonna ask our congregation to commit to a million dollar fundraising endeavor beginning May of this year. The weekend before uh, Mother's Day, can we raise a million dollars? Not in one day, though, if you wanna write a check for a million dollars <laughs> on May 2nd, we'll take it. We'll, we'll, we'll say praise be to God. Praise be to God, okay. <laughs> I'll even, I'll even dance. No, so, <laughs> I see that hand. No. <laughs> oh, sorry. So if you, we're gonna say, can we in the next 18 months together raise $18 million? So we're gonna take a special offering in that weekend and also ask you to give pledges for the next 18 months. Having said that, if you, I'm now in all seriousness, if you are here today and say, well, I, I could write a check for a million dollars and I could write more than that or I would write, could write a significant portion of that, then let me tell you what the miracle challenge goal would be, three and a half million dollars. Think about that. We give away 10% and 10%. We give away $700,000 and that would leave us with 2.7, 2.8 million dollars. You know what that does for us? That means the church has absolutely no mortgage And that means that beginning in June, the building team will gather and they'll spend the next 18 months while this campaign's going on preparing for a new sanctuary. Um, Because we're at the point where we've got to figure out what to do with this many people in the room today. We've already got four services. What are we going to do? There's some challenges in front of us that way. So an operational goal of a million dollars and a miracle goal of $3.5 million. So you've heard me talk about uh, empowering others. You've heard me talk about empowering ministry. Let me tell you about empowering you, okay? Because in the middle of all of this, I, I want you to hear this pivot point we're at today. It can't be all about money. It is not about money. It's about mission, and it's about individual lives, including your individual lives. How is this program going to help you? 
well, last August we said, okay, let's plan this 10% of the community and how are we going to empower our people to do that? And we had some, long story short, we were contacted by some folk that were on the national scene. Do you know the name Ali Strobel, Case for Christ? He has a team around him. Long story short, they reached out to us and said, we have a new project that we think is needed in our nation. And uh, we're creating curriculum and, and a whole series of uh, stuff that revolve around this, this, the business of apologetics. Namely, things like questions like, how can we be sure that God really exists? Is that a legitimate question? How can you? You have questions about right that. And, and, and um, you have people ask you about that. What, what's your answer? Or isn't the Bible full of myths and mistakes? Do you have those questions and do people ask you about that? Or what about the claims that we have that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation? How do you answer that when people ask you about that? Or here's another question. Why would such a good God allow tragedy and suffering? And so long story short, this group had been given a grant to create this program. They wanted a church to where they could pilot it and then take it to the nation and sell it to the nation. And they approached us and they said, would First Christian Church Decatur be willing to try this? And we go, yeah, I think we're up for that. So in August, that was our plan for you guys, for us together, okay? And that was in November of last year when that came to us. And then a couple weeks later, they called up and said, hey, we've got a crazy idea. We wonder, with a, tr with a city of 100,000 like Decatur, do you think you could do it for the whole city? Would you be interested in answering that question for everybody in the city? And we go, well, 10's all about that. Would you be interested in having other churches join you? We said, absolutely, and we'll pilot the thing for the whole city, then take it nationwide, all free for us, all free for Decatur, and then they'll see how they can do with selling it elsewhere. We were, we've approached other churches. We have 12 congregations signed on at this point with five more scheduled to talk with us this week about signing on that in August, the whole city is going to be blanketed with how are we going to answer the questions that are, in, that are in our contemporary culture for the cause of Christ? It's really exciting stuff. We're getting to do it before anyone else in the nation does. And it's, you know, it's not even costing us a penny to do it. I've got to go. This is God at work. Bring it on. Bring it on. It's good stuff, guys. So here's what we need you to do in the next two weeks, all right? Between now and the weekend of the 2nd and 3rd of May, the weekend before Mother's Day, I want you to consider how you might be involved in this campaign called Empower. And I'm glad that I can just say it straight up and not be embarrassed to say, this week, this is what this is about. I want you to hear where we are, what we're doing, and where we're headed. And um, on, that we on that weekend, we're going to ask you to do one of two or maybe both things. Give a special offering and give us some sort of commitment over the next 18 months. And we'll see where God takes us. I'm up for the challenge. I'm up for the, I'm up for the journey. I'm, you know, God's done a lot of cool things in the life of this church for a lot of years. And uh, there are a lot of lines of really cool ministry that go back this way. But can we just keep the pivot going right and move forward? Because that's what they did in the book of Nehemiah. Again, I told you that it changed the spirituality of the city. If you'll look in chapter 12 of the book of Nehemiah, when they were done, when they were able to say the conspiracy to kill us is not going to work, and they actually had the walls built, you know what they did? They built a big scaffolding, and the priests of the nation, for the first time in generations, stood up, and they read the whole book of the law, and they read all the scriptures, and the people gathered at the city below them, and just praised God. And their city would have been smaller than Decatur is now, okay? But they changed the city. The city was a mile square, all right? 
And so they changed all the lives of the city. Everybody came and praised God. Think about how cool it's going to be if we can take that and multiply that over 100,000 people. And what they did was they actually got into this little bit where they had this group over here was seen if they could praise God louder than this group over here. It was kind of this cool moment. They actually had choirs. If you look in Nehemiah chapter 12 where they go back and forth like this, Brad. They do this. And so we're not going to ask you to march today, but we are going to create this moment that they saw in Nehemiah chapter 12 where they worked together to praise God. So if we're going to do something, you go, what's this guy get up? Stand together. I'll lead you through it, okay? One of the passages of scripture that they would have read and, and praised God with would have been found in Psalm 150 uh, because it had been written some 500 years beforehand. And so they would have... They probably, had, they probably would have had um, uh, actually a melody or a tune to this. We don't know what that is, so we're going to say it together. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to have this side start. This is exactly what they would have done in Nehemiah. We're going to have this side start, and we'll have this side echo, and we'll see how we do. And it really is a contest. <laughs> because you know what? Serving God is fun. Serving God is great news, and it's, it's not always... You know, it's, it's, this is us working in people's lives. So let's declare the glory of God in that regard. Okay, this guy's, okay. Praise, Praise the Lord. Lord. Praise, Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise, Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. How'd they do? How can you guys do it? Let's see how we go. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Opinion? We need another chance. Another chance. All right. Okay, so this next chance, you may notice it talks about symbols. That's a warning. All right, here we go. Let's see how this side does. Praise him with the clash of symbols. Praise him with resounding symbols. I warned you. I warned you. All right, here we go. Let's see how this side can do with the symbols, okay? Praise him with the clash of symbols. Praise him with resounding symbols. What's your take? You want to try one more time over here? Yeah, want to try? Let's try it again, all right? Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Whoa, those are cymbals. Let's try one more time. You guys get another turn. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Oh, I love it. Let us all together. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. That's cool, right? We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna stay with the choir theme one more time. You may have asked, why are there so many people up there singing today? This is why. Right now, you've come to it. We're a big team of eight. We're going to invite you to sing now a song that we would normally do with the band. We're going to do it a cappella today, just raising our voices, various sides. Our community has 100,000 people in it, give or take a few. 10% of that is 10,000. If every one of them came to know Christ, that's, that's 10,000 reasons to praise God. Let's sing together. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. 10,000 reasons to bless the Lord.